Now we are currently going through the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, as you know. Uh, these new believers are living in this ancient city located in the Lycus Valley. Uh, these new followers of Christ at Colossae were facing a lot of pressure. Uh, after they became Christians, some false teachers had come among them, as you know. They were saying, Christ is only after story, right? We need also to have angelic experiences, miraculous experiences. And we need to work very hard to keep rules in order for us to have a genuine life with God. So Jesus is not enough. We need to supplement him with these things. That was their basic message. And the Apostle Paul heard about this when he was in prison in Rome. He got the report from one of the elders at Colossae, Epaphras. And so he decided to write this letter. And he's writing them, really. This is a letter of comfort. It's a letter of assurance to them. He wants them to know that they have all they need in Christ. That's why I love this book. You have all you need in Christ. That's the message of Colossians. And because you have all you need in Christ, keep growing in Christ. Don't look anywhere else. Look to Christ. And keep growing in Him. Now, the letter of Colossians is divided in two parts, right? You may remember this when we particularly looked at verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2. We said it's divided in two parts. Chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 5, Paul explains who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's the first part. Who Jesus is and who we are in him. So this section, is very important to understand that this section, this first section, all it has is indicatives. It has no direct commands in them. All there in the first part of Colossians is just stating facts. This is who Christ is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn from the dead. And this is who you are. You are in Christ. Right? So, so he's just explaining who they are. No commands. No direct commands anywhere. The commands start in the second half. From chapter 2... Verse 6 to the end, Paul gives us lots of commands, things to obey. And in the last few messages, actually, that we've looked at, in, since we're in chapter 3, verse, um, we've been looking at chapter 3, really, and particularly verse 1 to verse 11. In the last few messages there, we have seen a lot of commands, isn't it? Keep looking to Christ. Keep focusing on your future. Kill your sexual sin. Kill your anger. And his friends. Kill, as we saw this morning, kill your mouth sins. A lot of commands. And in fact, there will be more commands to come. Paul is laying down the law. Law after law in this section. But as we go through this second section, we need to remember why Paul is issuing these commands. Because the detail at which we've been going, this is the 41st sermon in Colossians, we might get lost of the overall picture. So we need to understand why Paul is issuing these commands. Paul has already taught us that we do not have life with God by following rules. It's so important we keep reminding ourselves of that. You are not a Christian because you keep the law. Or you even obey everything that's in the Bible. We are not saved by the law. We are saved by trusting only in the death of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. This is what separates Christianity from everything else. 
Salvation is through Christ alone, by faith in Christ. You know, every religion actually has rules and commands. Every religion does. But the difference between true Christianity, true faith in Christ, and all other religions is that we are not saved by keeping rules. We have them, but we're not saved by them. A true Christian keeps the law of God as a fruit of their new life with God. We obey the commands in the Bible as an outflow of the new life we have with God. Another way to think about it is that a true Christian lives inside out, not outside in. A true Christian has been changed from within by Christ, and because of that, the law of Christ is now sweet to that Christian. So Paul here is not saying do these things and become a Christian. He's saying because you are now a true Christian, this should be the fruit of your life. Because you died with Christ. Because you are buried with Christ. Because you are raised with Christ. Because you, you, are, you, are, you are ascended with Christ, you are reigning with Christ. You must now live out of that union with him. And you know, we get this so wrong often. When we're trying to get people who are not converted to do what God commands, we're simply laying down the law and that's not good. It's not going to get them anywhere. The key to get people to obey the word of God is first of all God himself has to regenerate them. Give them new life and then everything becomes, well I'm not saying it becomes easier, of course there's hard work involved, but you get the idea. There's hope there, well there's more than hope. There's change happening. From God. So this is the point Paul has been making from chapter 2, verse 8, to to chapter 3, verse 4. And this evening we have come to a verse where Paul repeats this crucial point, this crucial truth. So look with me there at Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 to 11. I'll just read those verses again for you. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you are put off the old self with its practices. That's the reason. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here then is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I like to, when I come to a passage, I always like to summarize it in a clear sentence just to. It's a good practice, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, It helps us to learn something from what he's teaching us and to remember it. And I think when we come to this passage, the key truth he's teaching us, in fact, it's on your outline there, if you happen to have had one, it is that we must live out our new humanity in Christ as one family. That's the key truth. Paul wants us to live out. We have a new humanity in Christ, and he wants us to live this out by living it out as one family in Christ. Now, I want us to learn that truth uh, by, of living out our new humanity in Christ under two lessons. Just two lessons this evening to help you remember it. The first lesson Paul is teaching us is this. Very simply, all followers of Christ have a new humanity. All followers of Christ have a new humanity. They are new people. You are, if you are truly converted, you are a new person. That's the first truth Paul wants us to, wants each one of us here to understand. Uh, it's a very important truth. I am currently reading The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. 
a book which his critics say is nothing more than the devil's manual uh, for destroying humanity. I, I won't get into the debate about that, right? But it is true that one of the arguments in this popular book by Mr. Professor Swab is that we need a better humanity. That's the central thesis, I would even say, of the book. Professor Swab believes mankind is facing huge challenges, not least technological challenges, right? The rise of new technologies. And these challenges have been amplified by the pandemic. The pandemic hasn't ushered in new changes, as the thesis from Professor Swab, rather it's accelerating the changes we are seeing. More automation, more integration with AI and other sorts of things. They've been accelerated by the need for social distancing and other things we adopted during this period, right? And this view, therefore, is that unless we adapt and create a new humanity, our civilization will come to an end, will implode, right? And as far as is concerned, the, the way we get a better humanity is by becoming more integrated with technology. In short, transhumanism. That's his central pitch. Mankind and technology fused together, destroying the boundaries between man and machine. It's the elimination, of course, of the binary which we find in other areas of thinking. We're seeing that similar thought in the current sexual revolution. So transhumanism is his proposal, a world without binaries, right? Now, I am sure you don't agree with Professor Swap. Uh, you might. But I'm sure you don't. I think most people wouldn't agree with that. But as I thought about Professor Schwab and his central thesis for a new humanity, I realized actually there is a close swab in all of us. I know, it sounds like heresy, doesn't it? But there is a close swab really in all of us. Why do I say that? Well, all human beings long for a better humanity, for a new better humanity. That may surprise you, but be honest with yourself. What really drives your decisions? What's, your, what's driving your decisions right now? Is it not to be comfortable, to be as comfortable as possible? Is it not to be more loved by others? Do you not want, a be, do you not want better beauty? Are you not working for a better pension? Don't you want a better family? Better friends? Better church? What's going on there? Well, what's going on there is that all of this is searching for a better us, a better humanity. Human beings long for progress and they yearn for progress, right? We want to become a better version of ourselves. And we hear that phrase often, isn't it? From every celebrity who has had a scandal. Once they have a scandal, what do they say afterwards when they are caught? Okay. I messed up, but I'm going to go away now. I'm going to go to rehab, and I'm going to get a better version of myself. I'm going to work very hard to be a better me, right? That's the world, isn't it? And the question we have to ask is, why are we looking for a better humanity? Because we once had a better humanity. That's the answer. We are looking for a better humanity because we have memories of it. The Bible says God created us with a perfect humanity in Eden. We lived truly fulfilled lives. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And since then, all of us are born, what? Emotionally, physically, and spiritually damaged. 
Human beings are not just sinners. It's so important we understand that. Sin is our identity. It's not just something we do. It is who we are. And more than that, sin has made us subhuman. All of us are not the human being we were before Adam and Eve sinned. In the words of John Stott, John Stott says, Sin is not only the attempt to be God, it is also the refusal to be human. In other words, sin mutilates our human identity. And we all sense this, don't we? We all sense this. And the way we are living is one endless quest to try to get a better humanity again. That's the point. But we cannot do it on our own. We need God who created us to help us. We need, actually what we need is God to undertake a second genesis. To breathe his life in our dead souls and create in us his own image. And the good news of this passage is that that's what Paul is telling us here. God has come to restore us to himself and give us this new true humanity through Jesus. And if we are in Christ, we have it. That's the point Paul is making. Look at verse 9 to verse 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, the old humanity with its practices, with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, the new humanity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is saying to the Colossians, something amazing has happened to you when you became followers of Christ. A profound change took place. You used to belong to the old fallen humanity headed by Adam. You were a part of a race that was completely dead in sin. You were totally cut off from God. But God, the Holy Spirit, kicked down the dark doors of your hearts and He flooded your heart with the light of Jesus. He enabled you to truly trust in Christ. And at that moment, you were given a new life in Christ. You put off your old humanity, your old self. Your old humanity died with Christ on the cross. You have now put on the new humanity. The new self with the resurrected Christ, the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the head of this new humanity as we learned in chapter 1. Christ is your new Adam. Yes, you have the same flesh and blood, but you have a new spiritual nature that is now restored to God in Christ. You have a new personal and intimate relationship with God. You have true meaning and fulfillment in life. You are now truly human. Before you were subhuman, but now you are now being restored to true human. And even better now conformed to the image of Christ you are being conformed to. And this is all possible because your life now is bound up with Christ. You live in union with him. He is your life. You have a new spiritual DNA. That's the point Paul is making. Paul is saying, yes, you still struggle with many things in your life. And it is hard for you sometimes to believe all of this is true. But it is true. You are a new human. Remember the full glory of your new humanity is currently hidden. Paul has already told us that, hasn't he? In verse 4. But when Christ comes in glory, it will be revealed for all the world to see. For now, God, says Paul, is working to make you more like Christ. To make you outside who you already are, inside. He is transforming you into the real you. Look at verse 9 again. Do not 
He says, doesn't it? Seeing that you have put off the old self with these practices, he says, and have put on already the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is saying to the Colossians, you are now becoming the real you. The true new humanity in Christ. By being renewed in the knowledge of God. You are, you, you, are, you are being grown in knowing who God is. That's what Paul means. Knowing who God is in Christ and who you are in Christ. And as this happens, you are becoming more and more like Christ. Your character is now being conformed to the image of our perfect second Adam. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows God as we are meant to know him. This is the first lesson Paul is teaching us. All followers of Christ have a new humanity in Christ that is being transformed to become like Christ. That's lesson number one. So what does this lesson mean for how we live now? Well, two important things, just to note, before we move to the second point. Two two implications of that. First, this should fill our hearts with thanks to God. Because God has given us what every human being is longing for. I mean, I mean, literally. I mean, this should be making you up, get up and dance for joy. The Bible is saying you have a new humanity. It is saying God in Christ has restored us to himself. We are now truly human again. A new humanity that enjoys the love and warmth of our God in Christ. We are human beings not because of anything we have done. It is all because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us thank God for this. Let us thank Christ for not only saving us from sin, but delivering us from being subhuman. For making us new humans fashioned in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. God God has given you a new life in Christ with a new mind that we have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. He has given you a new mind that thinks clearly about life. And is now guided by the living word of God. The world out there cannot see life as it is. You can see it if you are truly born again. Now, this does not mean that you never have problems in life or you you never suffer any mental difficulties, right? It does not mean that you always be right on every issue. No, what it means is that now that we are in Christ, we have a new life that is... A new life that is heading in a radically different direction from the world around us. You see, all descendants of Adam are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse every day. And it baffles me that as Christians we're surprised about that. It's degeneracy, spiritual degeneracy is what we should expect. But all who are in Christ, our second Adam, are getting better and better and better until we see Christ face to face. So there's a divergence, you see, going on. And that's why it's irreconcilable. That's why the world cannot understand us. In fact, the more time passes, the world will never understand us. The more we grow in Christ, the more we struggle with this world. Because we are getting better. The world is getting worse. And we know we are getting better. Why? Because Paul has already told us, when Christ comes... This new spiritual humanity we have will now receive a new glorified body. 
right? Who have a new divinely engineered, upgraded body. On top of our new spiritual humanity, we have a new glorified body. A beautiful eternal body created by God. With no sinful human fingerprints on it. We shall be like Christ in his glorified humanity. As Paul says to the church at Philippi, the Lord Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, he says. Philippians 3 verse 21. By the power of God that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The new body will have a new holy character like Christ. You think like Christ, feel like Christ, love like Christ, talk like Christ, and truly enjoy life as God intended like Christ in his perfect humanity. And of course Christ will welcome that perfect, glorified human, you, into the new heavens and the new earth where his righteousness dwells. And you live with him forever in this new world. And I always like to add no more sin, isn't it? No more pain. No more death. No more tiredness. No more political cares. All the former things will pass away. Because Christ is coming to make all things new. Let us thank Christ for these blessings of our new humanity. Regardless of what you have on your plate this evening, let this truth of what God has accomplished for you in Christ, given this new humanity, define you. Let it drive you to your knees this evening to thank him for what he has done. You are not just anyone. You are a new human. A new human. Secondly, let this truth of our new humanity shape how you relate then to the world around you. We have a new humanity in Christ now. So this means that we will often, as I said, not be on the same page with our work colleagues, with members of our family who do not know Christ, with our friends at school who do not know Christ. That's the reality. And so don't try to be like them. Is it not desire that for us who, us who claim to have this new humanity, many of us now want to think and live for the same thing that the world does, beloved? We watch those zombie movies, don't we? Normally in a zombie movie, you've got a zombies, one race, and the humans are others. So, we are the humans in this. Would it make sense for a human then try and eat a zombie and love the things that the zombies love? Of course not. So why then, you who is in Christ, with this new humanity, why do you want to live like the world? Shouldn't there be a difference between what you spend your money on and what the world spends its money on? Shouldn't there be a difference between how you watch television and how the world watches television? Shouldn't there be a difference between how you prioritize your time and what the people of the old Adam prioritize their time on? Shouldn't there be a difference between how you see your body, your physical body? In Christ, those who are in Christ are already beautiful, regardless of their physical appearance. In fact, as I've said, in Christ you have a wonderful body God has prepared for you from eternity past. 
One day you'll be more stunning than you are now. Believe that. It's the gospel. You look more physically stunning than you look now. If that is true, and it is true, doesn't this suggest to us that we don't need to post so many selfies on our Instagram feeds? We don't need to be admired by everyone. Doesn't this also remind us to be patient and loving to the people of the old Adam around us? Family members, work colleagues. As I say, humanity is spiritually degenerating every day. You should understand that in terms of how you relate then to people around you. Our non-believing family members and friends need our love and prayer and patience. We must pray that God by his mercy saves them and gives them this new humanity we have. And let us be understanding to them when they don't understand us. I mean, honestly, think of that zombie illusion again. Humans in the movie understand the zombie. They get it. They get it. They're not expecting from the zombie to do anything different. And that must be our posture. I'm not saying we should look down on humanity, but we must understand the old humanity. And we must long for them to be changed. We must get the cure to them. The gospel cure. So they can be transformed. As I say, if there's a zombie apocalypse, they're always looking for the cure, aren't they? (laughs) And they want to give it to those who are affected. We have the gospel cure. We, the new humanity. And we must take it to them so that they can come to know the Lord Jesus through his sovereign work. This is the first lesson, isn't it? Paul is teaching us. Verse 9 to 11. All true followers of Christ are a new humanity. I'll move on quickly. The second, truth, the second lesson this evening, the second and final lesson, really is the implication of this at the horizontal level. Our new humanity in Christ makes us a new family. That's what Paul has been driving to. Our new humanity in Christ now makes us a new family. We're not a humanity of self-centered, isolated individuals. God in Christ has created us to live together in Christ as one new human family. And I hope now as you look at that, you see what Paul has been getting at. Look at this 9 to 11 now in his totality. This is the force of this passage. I know we have zoomed in on the detail, but this is actually the main truth that Paul has been trying to get. This is the sort of area of you. Do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here in this new humanity, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The key word there, I highlighted it in verse 11, is the word here. Because here it is connecting verse 11 back to verse 9 and 10. The here, as I've just said, is a new humanity, our new realm of existence in Christ. In verse 10, Paul is saying we have a new humanity in Christ. In verse 11, he's saying because we have this new humanity in Christ, we are now one family in Christ. And the one family is verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, 
slave, free, but Christ is in all, is all, is all, important, and in all, right? Now, notice in verse 11, we have a list of people who are opposites to each other. Do you notice that? There are people we do not expect to share the same room or live together, right? The Greek and the Jew. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. The slave and the free. The Scythian and the barbarian. They are worlds apart, right? And that's how they lived worlds apart in the old humanity. They couldn't live together. But Paul says, in Christ, it's completely different. All true followers are now one in Christ. Christ is all, defines them, and in all. It is the new humanity. Paul is saying to the Colossians, your new life in Christ reinterprets existing differences. You are one family in Christ. You are no longer defined by those external differences. Now, it's important we understand it's not that the differences have been eliminated. No. Jews are still Jews. Gentiles are still Gentiles. Slaves are still slaves. Free people are still free people. And if we read on, actually, you see, mothers are still mothers. Husbands are still husbands. Wives are still wives. Children are still children, right? Workers are still workers. Employers are still employers. It's going to come to all of those distinctions. Paul is not dismissing the distinctions. What he's saying is that these distinctions are now not what defines you now. What really matters is that each of you now is a child of God. Christ has already made you one. You are now his brand new humanity, a new family in Christ. Your fundamental identity now is that you are in Christ. And you must not allow the existing identities to define you. Christ is all and in all. And Paul, I think, is really saying Christ is the new humanity. He is the head of the new self, the body. He is all and in all. That is to say, he lives and indwells all his people. You are a new humanity in Christ, and this makes you a new family. <laughs> and because you're a new family, and here's the point, because you're a new family, you must now treat each other as a family. And so we come back to those points in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you are put off the old self with its practices. And then he goes on, here there is no Greek and Jew, but Christ is all and in all. You see what the apostle is saying? He's saying you're a new family with other followers of Christ. So don't be angry with your brothers. Don't be malicious to your sister. Don't use obscene language against her. Don't slander her. Don't even dare deceive one another with lies. You are wearing the same spiritual skin in Christ. You have the same head, our Lord Jesus Christ. You share the same spirit and the same future. That brother, that sister, is now your new flesh and blood. You and the rest of the church are together the arms and legs and feet of Christ in the world. You are one. Christ is all. And in all. In all of you. <laughs> in fact, Paul is saying, Christ is all of you. And in all of you. That's the force of what he's saying here. 
So don't you dare, Paul says, slander that brother whom Christ died for. Do not be angry with that sister for too long. You spent eternity together. See that brother who offended you with dignity, love, and respect. And Paul is saying, we therefore must take this sin serious, isn't it? Because living in these sins is contrary to who you are. Your sins of slander, malice, and anger are bringing division to the people of God. Paul is saying. You are doing the work of the devil. You are dividing Christ up. Christ is all of you and in all of you. Don't let your sins divide him up. Why would you do that? This is not who you are. So put these sins that are ruining your life away, he says. Cut them off. Live out your new humanity as one new family. This in the nutshell is what Paul is saying. You're a new humanity in Christ, and so live it out. And what Paul is teaching us here goes contrary to everything that the world is telling you right now. The world is saying you are what matters most. Life is about you and your feelings. Life is about what makes you happy. It's not about others, the world is saying. The world says you are the center of the universe. You are free to lie, to get angry, to ignore other people, to slander, to talk badly, as long as it gives you what you want. That's what the world says. Everyone lives like that, says the world. And if you live the opposite, you lose. Other people, especially other followers of Jesus, will just walk over you, the world says. So just carry on as you are. Keep focusing on you. When you relate to other believers, do what benefits you. Keep talking about me and my desires. That's the world. When you're among Christians, make sure that you insist to be who you want to be, not who God says you should be. The world says no one has a right to tell you how you should be. This is what the world and Satan is constantly preaching to us. And it's very hard to resist the sermons of the devil. They appeal strongly to our flesh. And because of that, many of us are giving in to Satan. I have the privilege of not only preaching in this fellowship, but oversee the work going on in many church plants and many different kinds of revitalization projects. And I can only say I can honestly say that our churches are full of division. The churches up and down this land are riddled with division. There is gossip, slander, anger, malice, unforgiveness. All the sins listed here and more. And I believe the reason for that is because we have not recognized this truth. Our new humanity makes us a new family in Christ. So then the question is, as I come to an end, is this, quickly. How can we as followers of Christ 
grow out in living out this truth? How do we grow in living as a new human family in Christ? What are the practical things we need to do? I just want to give you two quick practical directions. Okay? The devil is preaching at you. The world is preaching at you. You need to get better at preaching. That's my summary. You need to get better at preaching. Two things you need to preach. First of all, keep preaching to yourself that you are a new human in Christ. You must do that every day because it's the gospel. Keep reminding yourself you are a new human. You yourself, you are a new human in Christ. If you are truly converted, you see, you must first be convinced of your new identity in Christ. And you're not. That's at the root of all the sins we've been talking about. You tolerate the sins listed in verse 8 to 9, which destroy you and our new human family unit in Christ because you often forget you are not these sins. You are a new human. So keep reminding yourself that these sins are a fruit of the old humanity in Adam. Keep reminding yourself that you are not under the old humanity anymore. You are in Christ. And I just think that will even transform how you let even in the home. Remind yourself that this is what salvation is. What is salvation? Salvation is being delivered from the old self and being given a new self in Christ. Salvation is a change of humanity. From living under the old Adam to living under the realm of the second Adam. And once we become this part of this new humanity, we can never go back. Once saved, always saved. Once delivered, always delivered. All that happens now is that we're becoming like Christ. Be convinced of this truth that you are no longer who you used to be. That your old self has truly died on the cross. And that you are in the newness of life, as Paul says to the church at Rome. The old humanity has passed away and the new has come. You can never be zombie again. Believe that. You are now fundamentally a changed person. You are not the old you anymore. And as you believe this, I honestly believe, as you believe this truth, as you keep reminding yourself this truth, you start putting sin to death. It's a key part of what we said, step number five, isn't it? Of what we said about killing sin. So first of all, get better at preaching to yourself that you are a new human in Christ. That's going to help you. It's going to help your family. It's going to help your place of work. It's going to help this church. When you are secure in your identity, you put many sins to death. Relational sins. Second thing, get better at preaching to yourself that you are part of a new family in Christ. We commit the sins in verse 8 to 9 because we forget we are not the only believers here. Others may be struggling in their work with Christ, but they have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We forget that every person who is trusting Jesus has put on the new humanity, including ourselves. And that sanctification, the progress of it, looks different in all of our lives. We haven't, we're not, we haven't all grasped the same truths. 
But God is at work. And we must trust that God has placed us alongside people. We can't see every heart, but we must trust. We must come in our relationship with others. We must start from the assumption that Sister Sandra's profession of faith is just that. It is a genuine profession of faith. But a Frederick's profession of faith is just that. It's a genuine profession of faith. If he says he's a believer, we must accept that. And we must treat him before God as clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, dressed in the full humanity in Christ. And we must treat him as my brother for whom Christ died for. And because he's my brother, I must cherish him, I must love him, I must pray for him, I must long to spend time with him. He is my flesh and blood forever. Preach to yourself that. Because you are tempted to slander, get angry with other people, gossip about them, refuse to talk to them, blank them out, because you forget you're blanking out the Christ who lives in them. Christ is all. All of you. And in all. In all of you. Others God has put in your life who know Christ are your new spiritual siblings in Christ. I believe if you keep preaching those two things to yourself, I honestly believe, oh, what a privilege it is for some of you being married to believers, husbands and wives, would this truth not have even greater significance now in your marriage, knowing that you, the person you're married to is first and foremost a spiritual sibling? Would that not settle many arguments, even kill them? Would slander not be chased away from our marriages and anger and all sorts of things? Preach yourself these two truths. You are a new human, and we are a new family in Christ. Amen.